I'm Nick Terzo, and you're listening to The Radical. My guests this week again test the common notions of how to achieve success. Born the son of a sharecropper, leaving the South to serve in the military, and returning to Louisiana to raise a family while working as a carpenter for many decades. While busking in his 60s, he is discovered, as they say, and signed to Fat Possum Records, appearing on America's Got Talent and having his studio albums produced by the Black Keys' Dan Auerbach. Robert Finley joins me this week to speak about his new record, Sharecropper's Son, Perseverance, God, and plentiful opportunities happening later in life. Coming up, my conversation with Robert Finley. It's Nick, and the Radical Podcast is now powered in part by Playboy Condoms. At Playboy, they are committed to products that make sexual intimacy safe, playful, and fun for all. That's why they have introduced Playboy Condoms designed for maximum pleasure and safety with unique quality and scent features that exceed international quality standards. Now available at Walmart or walmart.com. Respect your partners. Hi, Robert. Thank you for being on the show. I'm really excited to speak to you. Well, thanks for having me, man. It's, it's good to be out and about, even if it's through social media. Yeah, that's the truth, right? Um, so you have a new record out called Sharecropper's Son. Yeah. Um, there are some really remarkable songs on this. Um, and is this your third record? Well, uh, yeah, that would be the uh, the third one that you know kind of been actually publicized i had did one years ago um in uh 99 and uh but it was in a little place called a uh, little studio red top recording studio it wasn't uh it wasn't uh any, any, any you know no 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 promoters no connections it was just a guy had a studio he was trying to get a start and i was trying to get a start and, and uh so we he didn't charge me and i didn't you know and uh and he, so we 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 both benefited from it i guess because uh i got something i had never had i got my first actual cd you know that's great um you had an interesting story because you know obviously growing up um as a sharecropper's son, yes, just like the title of the album. Um, and you're on like the kind of the border of Mississippi and Louisiana. Where are you kind of at? Uh, I'm Winsboro, Louisiana is where I was born and raised. And so that's not far from, uh, you know, we're being, being more like North Louisiana. Uh, North Louisiana would be the area that I'm in. Got it. So, but I mean, close enough to the Delta there, right? Where the blues were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. All those yeah. guys around. Yeah. yeah. Then, you know, then we we was, you know, uh, on a station we had back then was uh, out of Nashville. That was the only major uh, radio station. And they they played the blues, even though we wasn't uh, allowed to listen to it in our home. But, you know, Kids uh, always had a way of doing what they wanted to do, <laughs> and they still do, you know. <laughs> How they say they're wiser and weaker, but <laughs> you, you can't you you can tell a kid what not to do, and 
and training them, but they gonna be just like Eve on that forbidden fruit. I just gotta taste it. You say you say don't eat apples from that tree. So I I gotta taste it for myself. You know, and so we yeah we we sneak and listen to the blues. Yeah, right. I mean, but you started kind of in the tradition of gospel, right? Gospel you were, your was dad had you in the church, and that's where yeah, you began, right? God. And, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, the, uh, growing up in the church, and it had a lot to do with the morals of the of the songs you sing. Cause uh, you don't want to sing nothing that's negative uh, if you uh, you know you don't mean to sing that negative. I put it like that. If uh, you go to the uh, if you go to the to to the scripture anywhere you know you you should be able to bag up what you what you do i mean even though that was a, that was just my dad's opinion that this was the devil's music you know uh that was his personal opinion but uh if you're quoting the scriptures and and uh and and you know the kid sitting there in church, not always because you want to be there. You're there because that's where you're going to be, you know, <laughs> if you're not on your sick bed. Uh, <laughs> th- th- that made the difference. And so you were forced to listen and you pay attention to the, uh, to the, to the words, you know what I'm saying? You pay attention. Uh, and you have to believe everything it say or... Don't bother believe nothing at all. So there were scriptures that said the earth is the Lord and the fullness they are and nothing was made other than by him and and where where did it come from? It, you know what I'm saying? As it, just like uh the forbidden fruit, uh everybody wanna blame Eve and Adam for what happened in the garden. Uh but if they had been in the garden, you know, then that would have been their their choice, and we had to deal with the consequences of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> correct, uh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, even if you went to for say, it depend. It's good to be religious. It's good to have faith, but uh, it's also good. God gave you a mind of your own, you know, and so it's always good to try that too, and. With the scriptures and the stuff that you was forced to learn, and with everyday life, uh, you know, with the problem of that dud hole. See, I didn't know we were poor, you know, until way down the line. You know, I, I, because we had, we had what we call poor people. You know, there were people that didn't have, uh, didn't have food. So my dad would have to share our food with them. And my dad would let them go out in the pea patch and just pick them some peas for dinner. And I couldn't, uh, I really couldn't figure that out as a kid, you know. We only got one field of watermelons. Why is he giving them away, you know? <laughs> so uh, so it, when things come up that you don't understand, just say for drinking, as, as as a matter of fact, if you want to have your drink of wine. And there'll be somebody that's so holy that would say, 
the wine belonged to the devil. But there's someone that probably didn't go to church, but they've read this word, and the words saying Jesus doesn't water the wine. So the first, it, it, you know, he turned water to wine, and I'm like, if he turned water to wine, he must have meant for somebody to drink it. He would, you know, he never made no mistakes. It's perfect. So you gotta idolize it yourself to what it means to you. It's not about what somebody else thinks. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for my upbringing. I I thank God for it because without it, I I don't know where I would where I would be now. You know, because I'd have I have no idea. But uh. So, you, I, but you you kind of exhibited that independent spirit young when your well, dad well, gave you had some money to. to go. Yeah, but your dad, I like the story where your dad gave you some money to go buy shoes. And what did you do instead? So, oh, I went and bought me a guitar. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had you know I had a twenty dollar bill, and a twenty dollar <laughs> bill. Uh, you know, I was going to get the shoes, and back then you could get a pair of shoes for twelve. $15 and still have a few dollars left, you know. So uh, this was my first time to actually buy my own shoes and pick the kind I wanted uh, as long as I could afford them with $20. But I went and told all my friends I'm finna go buy my first pair of shoes. So they all walked to town with me to get the shoes. <laughs> And that's that was that's how that happened. But when we got down there, the the shoe we passed by a, a auto shop and it had a guitar. I had a, a red guitar in the window. My favorite color is red, but it had a red guitar in the window, and the guitar was nineteen ninety five. So back then, you could buy a big old piece of bubble gum for a penny. So I said, well, I sure want to get that guitar. And my friend said, man, get it, get it. I said, well, my daddy told me to buy some shoes. And they was like, well, uh, we'll help you We'll help you mow some yard. We'll, get, we'll help you mow some yard, man. We'll, you ought to get that guitar. And that's when I found out it's, at that age, it's not always good to listen to your friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the real deal, you know. But, uh, yeah, they, that, that was their idea to get that guitar. But we played it all the way home, which was, I don't know, probably a five-mile walk, uh, country miles, you know what I'm saying? They say country miles and city miles are different. But my car registers the same thing. It don't know the difference. <laughs> now, there's a difference between a country block and a and a city block. Now a city block yes. might might not be nothing but a block, you know, but a country block you a country block you can go a long you go a long ways before you get to that next stop sign. So that's that's pretty much how you know being So you get the guitar, I mean you're kind of like look, you're in the tradition of gospel that's what you've known maybe at that point yeah and then and then you get influence and then you maybe hear chuck berry right and then maybe what? you hear ray charles and i mean does that get you going i mean man i sparked it we wasn't allowed to play it in the house because we lived in the country deep but when we moved into town i was probably about 10 years old then 
And when we moved into the community, it wasn't town, it was just a community. When we moved there, then that's when I really started hearing the blues. There was nothing nobody could do about it. There was a local jukebox, I mean, a local uh, nightclub juke joint, uh, and they turned their music up as loud as it would go. And so the church people complained about it, and but the only thing they could agree them to agree to do uh, was to turn it down on on Sunday morning. Uh, that that they did get them to agree to do. Because we would be in church and somebody would walk in the jukebox and in the club and play a record and you could hear it all over the all over the church, you know. So uh the the house I mean the juke joint was actually across the street. Uh there was one little block street that was between the juke joint and the church. So the juke joint decided he wanted to play his music. At that time, was nothing the ch the church could do about it. So all they could do was go over and try to compromise with him. And I I remember that. Um, but soon as church was out, he would turn his joke back on because he was he had this attitude: the preacher getting his money, I gotta get mine. You know, <laughs> preacher taking care of his family, I gotta take care of mine. So I I learned to be how you say y'all uh, sometime different uh, uh, and not always try to go to the crowd and I guess that's where the peculiar people uh, comes in at, you know and everything you do you know it, it wind up going right back actually going back to the Bible in, in so many ways uh, And I, but I can always use the Bible to justify my decision Oh, you know, or, or what I've been doing. I've always been able to do that. Uh, we wasn't allowed to curse. No way you would curse. But that was a word called a bad word. That's what we call anything that was unholy. Uh, you say out, you know, you say, damn, that's cussing. You know, that's a bad word. Uh, but my, my auntie was reading the Bible to me. Well, she was reading the Bible, and, said, and when I come there, she went to reading it out loud because she was babysitting me. And she said the word hell, and, you know, all the time I heard the word hell, if somebody said, I'm going to knock the hell out of you, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm thinking that's hard time cussing. <laughs> uh, but uh, she read it and I stopped her and I remember that I told her I said baby uh, I said auntie you cuss she said when I cuss I said you said that bad word and then I said can I say it because you know you had to have permission to say it and she said yeah and I said hell and she told me that that wasn't a cuss word so as soon as I got home I had to say that word you know, and I'm blind out with it. Oh, hell! And my dad jumps up. What did you say? And that was, I was like, man, I'm, daddy, 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 ain't, ain't gonna say that wasn't no bad word. And as I explained myself to him, that uh, 
we were reading the Bible and the word was in there, then he came to the conclusion, well, you don't say it. You know, you're not allowed to say it. Because the way, it ain't what you say, it's how you say it. And the tone of voice when I said it, I just said it hard, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's how I, I learned how to uh, be a little different. Be, you know, uh, you don't have to be like nobody else. Uh, simply because there's nobody else like you. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but... <laughs> it does. So do you get out of your small town? I mean, did you join the military or did you get drafted? It's kind of around I, Vietnam, right, or the end of Vietnam? Right. I'm gonna tell you, to be honest, now this is really true. Uh, I had lost a lot of friends in Vietnam. Guys I grew up with, knew about, you know, and they was a little bit older than me. But... Uh, they came back, you know, the guy that taught me how to tune a guitar up and how to, he got killed in the military, but he, he got me my first job. His name was uh, Charlie Turner, but he got my first, Charlie Singleton, he got my first job as playing a guitar for a group. And I, I was the biggest thing f for me, but it was a gospel group. But the fact that I got a chance to play for a gospel group uh, was in the right direction for what my dad would visualize for me and support, you know. And so that's that's how I wind up going in service. Uh, there were several guys that uh, we grew up with, me and my brothers, siblings, that went to uh, Vietnam and and didn't make it back so uh at some point in my life i just figured uh, i i wasted a couple of years uh my dad uh was killed in an automobile accident when i was 17 and you know and i'm just getting into manhood where i really needed his uh you know his expertise or his guidance as far as stepping out on your on your own so uh, he, after he got killed in an auto accident, uh, actually, I wasn't living with him at the time, but uh, I always had him that I could call and come home to. And for for him to not be there no more, there was nowhere else to go. And my mom was, uh, you know, she was struggling. So I decided that at the age of seven, at the age of seventeen, I say I'm gonna do, and I, 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 you know, do my thing. And my thing wasn't adding up to be that much, and so uh, I was too old to go home to mama. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, too young to really face face the world alone. So uh, I came to the conclusion that I joined the army. Uh, and because they said Uncle Sam would make would make a man out you, you know. So <laughs> and no no more. And so the main thing I joined the service to take care of, to take care of my mama. And uh, so I, I I fixed an allotment and stuff to so that she would have uh, 
money for a month or money, and and I wasted the the rest of it, you know, <laughs> to, to be honest. But I made sure that that she got an allotment or portion a portion of my salary, and and the rest I did teenager stuff. I explored. I I you know I was first time away from home. I guess you would say I was the prodigal son. <laughs> If you really want to nail it down, I've been the prodigal son, and uh, so I I learned at an early age how friends come and go, and how people uh, are with you when you're up, and you're by yourself when you're down. You know that was that was records that used to come on the joke box, say nobody wants you when you're down and out. You know, or uh, everybody loves a winner, but when you when you lose, you lose alone. Uh, it's good to have somebody beside you that when you lose, they'll lose with you. You know, you know what I'm saying, uh, and that's hard to find. I'm, 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 uh, I'm blessed to be around. You know, surrounded by people that, uh, that really do care, and that that's when you got people that really do care for you. Uh, the way you determine that is. Regardless to what your success is or what you get in life, it's the fact that they were there before all that begun, you know. So uh, if they were always there for you, there's no reason. If they were there when you didn't have a dime, you know, there's no reason for them to, to walk away now, you know. So those are the real friends. But right. in some cases... Not very many, hopefully, but in some cases, that friend uh, will become a hater. And that, in other words, that friend want to be you. And uh, right. you don't really have to watch a soap opera to see that. You just watch a day-to-day life. Uh, but there's always somebody wanting whatever you got. You know, but the only thing that that you can get now that somebody don't want is Clover 19. Nobody, <laughs> nobody gives it. That's about the only thing you can have and somebody won't try to beat you out of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's the truth. So you come out of the military. I mean, you got to see the world a little bit, right? In, yeah, uh, yeah. The military was great for me because uh, it, it made me that the man I am today because when I first got to, when I went in the military, I took a guitar, and uh, the you know the sergeant took it, my drill sergeant took it, and say, I don't know what you bring a guitar here. We ain't here. This ain't no party. This is you know, but he took it and put it up in his office and let it sit there, and he kept it because that wasn't what I was supposed to been functioning on. But they decided to have a a graduation party and they uh, wanted a band for the graduation party so now they got to give me my guitar back because <laughs> he had told me I wasn't going to get it back until I leave the post you know but he gave it to me for the graduation and so I played at the graduation they gave me a little plat wasn't nothing but my uh but a little plat saying outstanding Entertainer of 1974, but it was my first award. It was like 
to me, it was like getting a Grammy, you know. So, <laughs> so I I took it with with uh, and it it didn't even have a name on it. It just had to, because they didn't know who was gonna win, so they didn't they couldn't print the name on. So finally, I put my my name on it myself, but I had it in my military record that I did on the plat. So when I went to uh, AIT, as we call it, the training for my thing, it was in my file that I was, you know, that I won the uh, uh, the talent show for the military, the entertainer of the year. And so by it being in there that I won, then my f- first sergeant, and when we got ready to graduate from AIT, for then that's when it came up again. Finley has it in his record that he won so this this thing in uh, Fort Polk, and now we in Aberdeen Proving Ground, Maryland, and he says he can uh, probably put together a band. And when the sergeant talked to me about it, I jumped, and uh, I went to looking for musicians that was in that was gonna be graduating when I graduated. And everybody that could sing or had a talent of playing something, I got them all together. And they, they allowed us to get off duty. Well, we were still on duty, but we could leave in the afternoon and go and practice. So that meant everybody was at practice on time. Everything happened strictly on time. Uh, there were no, uh, you know, there were there, there, there were no uh, body running late, and this, you know, cause you a wall if you're not where you're supposed to be. So, <laughs> so I had the perfect band. Uh, you know, if I said three o'clock sharp, you know, two forty-five, everybody was. Was there, so that's what that's that's how that went, and I played or put together that band, and when we played there, that went into my military records as being the band director for AIT. So that meant I had basic training and AIT as me being in charge of the band. So then I come home for about thirty days and. Then I left going to Germany, and uh, that was a long supposed to be my long tour, you know, over there. And uh, I was going to do the rest of my time in Germany. But uh, when I got there, I got off the train. It was the first time I ever rode a train, first time I rode a plane. But, you know, if somebody, Uncle Sam takes the fear out of you. You know, you got you to you, you do it. <laughs> you just got to do what you got to do. And uh, so what you're told to do. And I was told to get on a plane and go. And I, yeah, well, you couldn't catch the bus overseas. So I was like, <laughs> but uh, I flew over there. And uh, it didn't, I wasn't a ball about the fright. I, I guess I had enough faith that uh, the good Lord would would take me if he meant for me to go. But when we got over there, I got off the plane on a Friday evening, and my first sergeant, when I reported to duty, he says, 
just wait and report Monday morning. See, I know you're here. And uh, he told one of the uh, specialists there, say, take him down and get him selling in and take him to the recreation center and show him around the post so he'll know where everything at. Uh, and uh, so that's what they did. And they took me to the recreation center. They had all the instruments in there. Uh, just hanging, you know, and all you had to do was go sign your, sign your name and, uh, and um, you know, pick the one you want and sign your name and play it. So I picked, I checked out a guitar, and I was just playing. And the guy came to me and said, hey, man, uh, where are you stationed at? And I told him, I said, I just got here. He said, uh, we got a party tomorrow, a picnic, a company picnic. Say, man, everybody going to be there and say, and our lead guitar player just went back to the States. Say, he just got this short. Went back to the States to get this short. He said, now we ain't got a guitar player. And uh, he said, will you, 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 will you play with us? I said, man, I said, I'd love to. I said, but I don't know none of y'all stuff. And you saying the show tomorrow, I said, ain't, ain't no way we can do this. And he said, no, nah, man, if you play, you just play what you playing now and say, we'll follow you. So we didn't have a rehearsal. It just was the next day was the show. So I played a couple songs, and the guy, he went and checked out a bass guitar, and he, he played along with me. And uh, so he said, we're going to follow you. We're going to support you. And uh, so he told the rest of the band. Now, they had a couple songs that, that they was singing um and but just so happened i already knew those those songs because they you know they were songs that was popular in the u.s and so i already just so happened i knew them thin line between love and hate you know stuff like that just just melody the old jays was out we had some guys uh they could they could really sing uh and so they had a good band but they didn't have a, a guitar player. And so I joined, I sung for them that Saturday. And that's how I met the whole battalion at one time. And that's the greatest thing you can do. It's meet everybody at one time when you're going, traveling somewhere, you know. It, 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 even the same thing now when we go on tour, you walk out on stage, that's 2,000 people, and you, you, you know, you, you, you might not remember nobody's name, but if you holler out John or Sue or Callum, somebody go answer, you know. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so let's jump ahead a little bit. So you get back home, you raise a family. Um, you know, a claim came to you a little bit later in life, right? That's a kind of an understatement. Um, you ended up kind of uh, losing your sight somewhat in like the last six years or so, or yeah, last. Well, it started about six years ago, but uh, it it wasn't uh, officially until uh, yeah, 2015 when I really realized that I had a serious problem. And I had my little pity party. It didn't last long. But one thing about it, uh, if you don't care, don't nobody else care. You know what I'm saying? Now, you want to get help, you got to care. You know, you got to do what you, right. you got, you got to, you got to show some initiative. You got to make people or, 
if they see you struggling to make it, they'll, they'll give you an empty hand. But if you're looking for a hand down or a hand me out, uh, that's not a whole lot of that going on. Right. And so you use this. I mean, you have great perseverance. Um, you know you need to still somewhat support your family, right? You have children. Right. And yeah. So you uh, decide well, to well, go back to, to playing? Well, no. Uh, when I got out of the military, I actually started a gospel group with the my mother was singing in a group called the Harmony Five, and so I uh, started playing for that group. Basically, uh, because my mother was in it, and she kept asking me to play, and they kept telling her get see if you can get Robert to come. And then I went and I played for her in a group, and we had a good time. So we just start rehearsing kind of regularly, and then. After while well, we went back because they just didn't have a musician, and so when they when I, when I started playing for them, then they went back to performing on on a regular basis. Because they would still perform, but they'd always have to have somebody that was just there to play for them and did not know probably not their music. And sometimes when you got a musician that don't know the music or don't know the song, it causes you more problem than it do good. You'd be better singing it a cappella. Uh because they if they don't know the song they can they can change the whole outcome of what what you're doing. So it's better to 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 do it alone than have someone there that don't know what's going on. And so that was that was a blast. I played for that group then I organized a group called the the Gospel Sisters. So I was Brother Finley and the Gospel Sisters because all the girls were sisters and first cousins. That's why we call it the Gospel Sisters. And but uh, we went even we had our own little radio show on on Sunday mornings. You know we would go actually go down to the radio station and perform live. So uh, it was KMAR down in Winsboro. We did. We did that for quite a while until the girls, because they were real young when we started the group. And then when as they uh, got grown, they started getting married and moving off. And so that's kind of how that group deteriorated. And everybody kind of moved to Texas and Memphis, different places. And show you how things happen. Over the years, they all wind up right by words they started from, you know, they all went out and did this and that. And, you know, they did good for themselves, but when you when you get something, you want to take it home. You know, uh, uh, it, it's good to go home with something positive than, than negative, but uh, it's good to be able to go home in any, in any kind of way. But, so you go through life um, back home. Um, yeah, back to my hometown. And it was, your old job. What did you do? <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm a carpenter by trade. Uh, my dad was a carpenter. He built the house, even the house we was all raised in. Uh, my dad built. It's there now. Uh, my my daughter uh, and my grandson actually still live in it. So it's. It's an old, uh, old house because uh, I was, and and the lumber is even older because it was built out of used lumber uh, back in the fifties, uh, and so uh, from what I understood, 
it used to be an old church that uh, my dad and a couple more of the deacons got together and tore down the old church and built, used it to build a new church. But the old church was was so big till they were able to, when they built what they was going to use for the new church, they had enough lumber left to build three more houses. So everybody, uh, each I think each one of the deacons built them a house. And the reason why I uh, can come to that conclusion be pretty solid of it, cause all of the all three of the houses were built just alike. So they they got a pattern and they built them a house apiece. But yeah, um, that's where yeah. I grew. So it was after this, after my first marriage, uh, and then uh, after my second marriage. <laughs> so you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't say I gave love two scracks. I know scrack three. I'm out. So I'm gonna let her go back across the altar. But uh, <laughs> me and my uh, second wife divorced, and then uh, I were still doing my carpentry, and then that's when I started to have the sight problem. So now the reason why it was so simple for me to get up and move around the country or move around the world, because it wasn't nobody but me, you know. So I only had one. One 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 child from the second marriage, you know that that I feel like, and and everybody else was grown. So, because I pretty much raised all of her kids too, but uh, at the same time, uh, the last one, the only one that wasn't legally grown. So, uh, but uh, other than after that, man, I went. I had nobody at the time. He was with his mother, so there were no. There was no reason to come home because there was no one to come home to, you know. And I had a friend that was taking care of my dogs and, and you know, and all I had to do was call them, check on them and stuff. Uh, this little town that I live in, everybody knows everybody, you know. And so uh, it's not hard to, uh, it, now don't get me wrong, if you're not a man of your word, or if you don't do what you say you're gonna do, then you're gonna have problems anywhere you go. But as long as you do what you say you're gonna do, I I knew I had friends I could just call home and say, hey man, I need you to do this for me. I need you to uh, go down there and take care of this for me. Go down there, and they they knew when I got home, I was gonna take care of them. So. And everybody would be looking forward to me coming home because they knew when I come home, the party was on, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that was. And so if you started kind of busking around. Is that how you were discovered? I mean, Yeah, I, was bu uh, well, yeah I started busking in Helena, Arkansas. That's where I were. Helena, Arkansas, uh, I went up there with a friend of mine that owned a restaurant. And see, I, was, I used to sing at this restaurant. And... That's how I kept the bills paid when I was diagnosed with the glaucoma. So then um, I went with him just riding, and he said, man, you need to just go and relax and quit worrying about it. Just ain't nothing you can do about it. Just 
He said, you need to go to hell and say, they'll love you up there. He said, because uh, they have people out there on the streets that's playing all the time. And, he said, and I know, not being arrogant, but he said, a lot of them ain't good as you. And he said, they love you up there. Say, so you need to just go. Uh, and uh, so he told me if I wanted to go, they was going to leave out at 5 o'clock in the morning, be at the back of his restaurant at 5 o'clock. So I, made to make sure that I didn't oversleep or be late, I got in, in my uh, excursion and uh, I just went down there in, in a park and I, you know, I watched TV and dozed off until till I heard noises and then I knew they was out there. And I got out and got in the uh, truck with him. I put my suitcase in the RV with the workers and I got in the truck with, with him and we talked on the way up there and he was telling me, you can't, you can't bust. You got to have a permit to burst the bus, and you, you got to be in, signed up six months ahead of time and all. He was telling me all kinds of stuff you had to be done. And uh, I've always had a way of manipulating around a lot of stuff. I, if I you know, get an opportunity to, and I was like, so I, his daughter heard that they were having a jam session. So this is my opportunity. It was like a jam session that Thursday night. So the jam session meant anybody get up and play with anybody. And so I volunteered for the jam session. And a guy asked me, he said, you got a band? I said, no. Nah. He said, you know any musicians? I said, no. Nah. He said, well, i probably get something to play with you. I said, well, I'd rather do it by myself. I said, because if I mess it up, I want it to be my fault, not because somebody else didn't didn't do the right thing. I don't want to have nobody to blame it on. So that's, that's how that happened. Uh, and after I, the guy told me, he says, well, well, the way I approached him, once I found out who was in charge, that's what I needed to know was who was in charge of the stage. And uh, so when I found out who was in charge of the stage, I went to him, and I told him, I said, man, I say, I know you don't know nothing about me, and I don't know nothing about you. I say, but uh, I sure like to rock this crowd. And he was like, what do you mean? I say, I like to perform on this stage. He said, well, where you play? I told him I played a guitar. And he says to me, uh, you got a band with you? And I was like, no. I'd, I'd rather do it by myself. So he told, he said, man, he said, you know what? He said, I normally don't do this. He said, but for you to come up to me and, and be that bold, he said, I, I feel uh, like I owe it to you. He said, I'm going to tell you this here. This is a rough crowd. He said, now, you go out there, you either going to make it or you're going to be a laughing stock of the town. He said, now, they won't have no trouble booing you off the stage. I was like, well, what have I gotten into now? <laughs> but I was determined to, to do it. So he told me and said, so he, on the way he introduced me, he said, ladies and gentlemen, here's a guy uh, from Louisiana. His name Robert Finley, and he going to sing y'all a couple songs. That's all he said because he didn't want to jeopardize himself. He didn't know nothing else to say. 
So I started singing the blues, and uh, people started coming, and you know uh, they, the crowd was getting bigger and bigger, and I just kept playing it. And at the end of the song, I heard the applauses, and they was in front of me, behind me, you know, and they was all around. And I was like, so the guy looked back at him, and he tells me to play another one. So I I played another one, and uh, these songs were songs I had written, and that was on the first little album that I ever recorded. Uh, but I did put them on my second album. Uh, but these little songs were funny. They were they were funny if they wasn't if they didn't like the voice, they would get the punchline to the joke, you know. So I, I sung, I'm going to buy me a bulldog to watch my house when I'm not at home. I ain't seen nothing with my own eyes, but I believe something funny going on. You know, and I'm, I'm doing that kind of stuff. And so one of the punchlines was, you got cigarette butts all over the house, and I'm down there to choke. And you try to tell me your mama been over. I know damn well she don't smoke. And the crowd just got, <laughs> you know. So by that time, people was coming from everywhere to see who's this wise guy. And uh, so after I had did the funny songs and kind of got the town's attention, because you could hear it anywhere in the city limit, uh, people started coming downtown. And, uh, you know, people was like coming out the woodworks. They was camping out in the area and stuff, and it was coming. So the guy told me, he says, you can sing one more because all these people that just came, they wanted to see you, so you could sing one more. And I sung that third song, and I think I sung A Change Gonna Come, and that was my, my chance to practice the vocal because everything else was basically comedy and trying to get the uh get them interested in the guitar and 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 get the crowd's attention but when i sung uh a change gonna come then i think that's when the change really came (laughs) (laughs) so the guys i mean go ahead finish that the, the guy that was busted that was in charge of the busting and, and and he was over everything was going on in the city. He then tells me, I don't need a permit. He says, come down in front of the, the town had a store set up that they were selling antiques and souvenirs. He set me up in front of it and told me I could play there as long as I wanted to. So it was like 10 o'clock in the morning and, uh, I played to 10 o'clock that night <laughs> because people were, like every time I got ready to stop, another crowd would be just coming up. And the, the thing were to keep the tip jar being blessed. And when people come up and now you just drop, you know, they just come up and drop a $20 bill in your tip jar, you feel like you're obligated to play them another song. And, <laughs> And that went on all day. And uh, I had a little backpack that uh, I usually keep my cords and stuff in. So I dumped all them out in a box and put them in the back of the store while I was on my little, I took about a 30-minute break. And uh, I went and got all of my tips and put them in the backpack. And uh, 
didn't know nobody, so I couldn't trust nobody. So I put them in the backpack, and then I put my coat back over my backpack. So I had, I actually had all my money on my back, but uh, it, they thought I was taking it in the store, putting it up. So, <laughs> and then when I got to the hotel that night, and I was like, you know, I had cut it, you know, with tips and a few CDs I sold. I had got where I was making four or five hundred dollars, you know, a day, and I was like. I'm gonna keep doing. I'm gonna do it again tomorrow, and uh, I was next morning at ten o'clock when they opened up. I was right back in front of the store. Uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't even take my equipment out of the store. I just let them locked it up in there. Told them I see y'all in the morning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's how that happened. And that next day is when the guy uh, Tim Duffy. I met him. He came up and took pictures and and. You know, donated to the tip jar and told me he needed to talk to me after the set. And we exchanged information, but I, I really didn't think nothing of it because so many people will make you promises and you never hear from them again, you know, so I didn't think nothing of it. But yeah, uh, about a week later, they did call and I did go to, uh, to the, uh, studio and um, I did some solo recordings and they passed it on when they asked me did I mind if they pass it on and try to get me a record deal and I, I, I told them go for it you know and that's when they introduced me to Fat Possum Records and uh, Fat Possum the guy that, that owned it actually him and his wife drove to uh, Bernice to my house and I came back from the store one day and they were they were standing on my porch knocking you know and I'm like and I'm like so this has got to be something good about this for these people to actually drive from you know that, that the fat partners in Memphis for them to come from Memphis to Bernice Louisiana uh, just to talk to me so that that a little light went off. You might have something here, you know. And so after the first record, when they got it set up, I was in blind school trying to learn how to maneuver with what sight I had left, you know, because there's so many things that we take for granted that that we need to pay more attention to. So. You can you can do better if you just pay a little more attention to certain things. So they was teaching me what to look for, and and um, I had to get used to turning my head all the way around rather than glancing and, and keep going. So it was just simple things, you know. If you just got, if you got to turn your body around, you you just turn your body around. But you need to know what's behind you, you know, what's what's going on. So that's that's how that happened. But uh. And so they introduced you. I mean, so you do a deal with Fat Possum. Yeah, Fat Possum. And somehow they they bring the music to Dan Auerbach, right? Who's in the Black Keys. Well, well, what happened were, I found out later, Dan Auerbach, the Black Keys, were on the Fat Possum label before they developed their own label. And so uh, that's how they already knew each other. And so Bruce, uh, the guy that... Uh, 
They had bought Fat Possum Records. Dan was looking for someone to sing the cover songs on a book, on a comedy book called Murder Bandit. And it was four songs on there. And we had four days to learn, you know, to, to, to learn the songs and sing them. And I don't know, because of, you know, when when you really want to do something bad enough, you you hang in there with And we did the songs in a, in a day, really. We did all the songs in a day, and, you know, we went back and they changed a little music or something, you know, the musicians and stuff. But I actually did the vocal that day. And uh, so I had three more days in Nashville with with nothing to do. And then that's when Dan uh, decided, hey, I, you sung those four songs so quick on the book. How would you like to do an album? And, you know, it was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So why not go for it? You know, get it while you can. And so that that was the main song that was on the album get it while you can that was the first one that uh that i think that we recorded and uh so we went we did the album we did the whole album in those other in those three days and was still i still had another day out there in the city so we went we or went to uh looking for album covers, a place, you know, to, uh, we went photo shooting, in other words, just trying yes. to find a perfect album cover. But uh, everything went together so fast until it wasn't really work. You know, it wasn't work at all. It well, was, you put you together with some amazing musicians. That's what I said. I mean, you, some amazing studio cats right there. Now, uh, everybody, when we took our first lunch break and sit down and talk, Everybody was was excited, and you know, and it was everybody was kind of trying to talk to me at one time, uh, at the same time. So it really wasn't making a whole lot of couldn't wasn't getting a whole lot of sense of it. But I could tell everybody was enjoying the recording. You know, and that was the main thing. So when we did that, they knew, and they they I got to find out they had played for every major artist that I really had, you know, admired. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Al Green. Some They played for Al Green, you know. They wrote songs for Al Green, you know. Aretha Franklin was my number one female artist at that time. Um, and they played on her songs. They wrote her song. So when you in the room with the best it brings out the best in you because the first thing I'm not worried to even whoever would have thought that I would be in the studio with all these famous people you know that people done done retired from 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 what I'm dreaming of trying to do you know <laughs> and, and, and they and they tired of doing it you know so but uh when they got to telling me how it worked and this and that, and they kind of just took me. I'm 67 years old. I was 60, I think I was 63 at the time. And uh, I was the youngest person in the studio 
you know, the new kid on the block, uh, besides Dan, and we had uh, one other young man. I I can't I can't call his name, but he was he was from uh, California, and he was a hell of a keyboard player. You know, he it was awesome, and and with him and Bobby Woods sit down across from one another. You don't know, you know, you don't know. You can't help but move. You know, the music, the music will make you move, you know, even if you don't like the words, even if you don't like the singer. When they when they hooked up, your feet going to automatically pat. Uh, so I was in it. I'm in the studio with all these great musicians. Uh, world known. Done, done traveled all over the world. Now, I'm thinking this is great. Then I, Next call I get, they actually want me to go on tour with them. And they done come out of retirement and went on tour. And they said, you know, all the guys decided, let's go on the road one more time, you know, because they, you know, they had quit doing that. And they, 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 but they, we was having so much fun in the studio, they wanted to do it. We, we played for uh, a liquor distributor. Uh, with, uh, I guess I'd say the name was Jim Bean Liquor, and uh, and uh, by the time they called me to the stage, I was full of that Jim Bean. So, <laughs> 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 and that was the first time that we 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 went to New Orleans too and did a thing in the back alley there. But it was only it was exclusive. The only people were, was allowed to the show. Well, reporters, uh, people that own it, uh, record stores, and, and you know, trying to make sure that we got the record in the stores and stuff on time. So industry types, yes. Yeah, and so we 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 I killed him that night, and uh, so Dan took me on a, but he didn't let me open up for him. He would do his own show, then he would call me up as a special guest. Which was an honor, you know, to be in the middle of, in the middle of his show, and he called me up and and I'd sing two or three songs, and I, you know, I'd be out of there, and then people were waiting for my record to come out. So it was really just a promotional thing that I went on the tour with him, so that everybody was looking forward to the record coming out, and uh, but it, they was so excited that they couldn't wait. They was gonna, you know, they was. Everybody was willing to get behind it because they loved it, and so when I we did that uh, thing in, in Jackson, it was it was more like the public. I mean, when we did the thing in uh in Tennessee at the uh, at the liquor brewery, I don't know exactly where it was at, but we did it there. Then they kind of just gave me they even they even special made me a bottle. Of, or Jim Bean with my with my name ingrained in the glass and uh, you know uh, that was a that was an honor you know uh, uh, they ingrained my name in gold on on a fifth of liquor uh, so I got a chance that was the first time I saw my name in gold then <laughs> then Dan, Dan started decided to go on the East Coast and the West Coast so we went on the East Coast. And everywhere we went, I was getting the same results. I was getting uh, 
the standing ovations and uh, my record sales. We we couldn't keep enough vinyls or CDs. I was selling out of everything and uh, fast as fast as I could get it. And so at some point, uh, no matter how much you love your elementary teacher, sometimes when time come, you gotta you still gotta leave them go to go to high school. So that's the way I look at with these uh, recordings, with these studios and, and management. Because I I started with the with the the uh, Music Maker Foundation, and they introduced me to the Fat Possum Cream. They introduced me to the Dan Arbuck team. And so, uh, like, uh, just kind of the same thing, like going through through school. You go from kindergarten to grade school to high school. And then at some point, uh, if you really want to be all you can be, you got to go to college. So <laughs> I'm fig- I'm hoping I'm in college now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're beyond college. You may be in uh, graduate school now, beyond college. So, but uh, it's, but been, it's been a fun ride. Um, it's fantastic, fantastic. It proves that later in life, man, you can still have an amazing ride and have another chapter. And you've proven that. You've got your perseverance. You've got your talent. Um Robert, thanks for doing this with me. His new record is Sharecropper's Son. It's produced by the world-famous Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. It's a fantastic record full of soul and life. And Robert, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Um, everyone needs to see this man live is what we all need to do is see you live. So, Well, thank you so much. Thanks. I'm looking yes. forward looking forward to getting back out there. Uh, it's like... Uh, Almost a year and a half since we toured and and, and, and uh, did what we love to do. Uh, so, but uh, I'm trying to take the right steps because I don't want to endanger myself. Yes. And I don't want to be the cause of my fans being endangered. So I'm gonna let the uh, let the government uh, and the the country make the call, and then. When it's safe to be back out there, I'm like a horse in a stall. I'll just open the gate and let me finish running this race. You know? <laughs> well, we're looking forward to seeing you out there, my friend. Trust me. So stay healthy. Thank you for doing the show. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. You have a great day. Bye-bye. That's our show this week. We thank our sponsor, Playboy Condoms, for supporting these episodes. To follow what's happening with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. You'll find past episodes, show notes, and even merchandise such as t-shirts and hats. Also, I encourage you to follow and rate us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please follow us on social media, The Radical Pod, where we reveal more about upcoming guests. Thanks for listening and spreading the word. 